we need to have trusted sources who can say, hey, Shane, I'm seeing you do this thing and you're really jumping through this gigantic hoop here. Um, maybe you shouldn't. And you can kind of help them see it as well. But when they do, that's where that, that next piece of reducing your defensiveness, because our first thought and our first response is, no, I'm not, I'm just right. Um, and so developing the, those trusted sources and making sure that we're, we're taming our own defensiveness, that's going to be key to helping us have a more accurate uh, view and engagement with the world. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I am very excited for today's episode. Going to be chatting about a new book, Humility, Free Yourself of a Narcissistic World. You may remember my guest today. It was one of, uh, it was an exceptionally popular show that we did and got a lot of comments about. It was episode 321. The Courage to Suffer. We had Daryl and Sarah Van Tongren on, and uh, and today we have half of that with his new book, Humility. Daryl Van Tongren is joining me. Daryl, thank you so much. Shane, thanks for having me. Um, well, I am uh, I am humbled to have such a fantastic. <laughs> science writer on on my show uh and uh, i can't wait to hear all about your your new book um so first off give us a little bit of background about yourself let's let's assume even though everyone should go back and listen to the courage to suffer episode let's assume that they haven't yeah yeah so i'm a uh, i'm a social psychologist i teach at a liberal arts college uh hope college in holland michigan so right on the shore of Lake Michigan. Uh, I've been, I'm in my 11th year as a professor. Uh, I enjoy running and biking and uh, and cooking and hanging out with our brand new dog. Uh, and yeah, just, uh, I, I really in, uh, get excited about wrestling with big questions that humans have. So existential questions, what makes for a good life? How do we relate to each other? Uh, topics that are not easy to talk about at parties, but I think are deeply meaningful. So what gave you the confidence to write a book about humility? <laughs> I got to tell you about this. So I kind of stumbled into this one, to be honest. Um, and hopefully it doesn't you know, take away too much of the allure. So I, I wrote a paper with some colleagues uh, back in 2019 that got into a pretty decent journal. And it just really happened to get uh, the fortunate luck of being covered by the New York Times. So someone at the Times wrote about it. And then a few book agents uh, saw the coverage in the Times, and they reached out to me and they said, you know, have you ever thought about writing a book on humility? Um, and my first instinct was, oh, I have like a lot of people you should talk to about writing a book on humility, but it shouldn't be me. Um, but then I realized, wait a minute, I, I actually have, I've studied this for a little bit. Maybe I am the one to write it. So I kind of happened to fall into it. Um, then we shopped the, you know, we shopped the, the manuscript to a bunch of different folks and finally got someone to pick it up. What was that original study? You know, so the first, the paper that got the coverage was really a review article, uh, kind of covering the first 10 years or so of research in the science of humility. And for a long time, people thought it was impossible to study humility. Because if I ask somebody, you know, how humble are you? 
and you say, oh, I'm really humble. Um, and we all might think of someone who might give that answer. You know, what does that mean? Does that mean that they really are humble and maybe they're just so self-aware that they know? Or would only really narcissistic people claim to be humble? And so we, we kind of covered how that was part of where a lot of the research got stuck. But once researchers solved that, the science just took off and we realized there are a lot of benefits to being humble. Well, how, how did they solve those, uh, those hurdles? Yeah, so there's a few ways of doing it. So one is um, through a process called kind of triangulation. So I can give you a scale and you tell me how humble you are. Then I can ask people who know you well, whether that's a romantic partner or a friend or a boss, and they can rate you. And then maybe we also look at your actual behavior. So get you into the lab, have you interact with some other folks. And then we pull all those things together and we can kind of approximate, hey, here's about how shum how uh, humble Shane is. Mm-hmm. So I so I come into uh I come into a lab for a study which I imagine I don't know what it's regarding. Yeah. Um what what happens? Yeah, so one of the first studies on this uh, conducted by my good friend uh Donnie Davis. He had people come in the lab in groups and he just randomly put them into uh into groups to work together and they had to solve these really difficult problems. So one was this problem called crash landing on the moon. And it's designed to just make people argue. And so you imagine you crash on the moon and you have this list of items and you can only bring some of them to make it to your rendezvous point. How do you negotiate which items to bring? And really, we could care less about the items you bring. What we want is you to get into this contentious debate with other people so the smug narcissists' true colors get shown and people who are a little bit more humble get recognized by their peers. Then after that, they complete a bunch of really difficult GRE questions where you can't go on until everybody agrees. So really, you put them into these conflict-prone, uh, really high-power differential situations. And then at the end, we had everybody rate themselves and everyone else in the group on humility, then a number of other things, like how much they'd like to work with that person, be their friend, um, things like that. Hmm. That's fun. Um, and so everyone in the group is on is, is a participant in the study, or are there like confederates or... No, yeah. So we ran it just in groups of three to four and just kept doing it over and over and over until we got enough people. So yeah, there's no Confederates. Pe- people, surprisingly enough, can be uh, can be pretty arrogant or pretty humble, kind of naturally uh, occurring in the in the population. Did you ever find it? Was there anyone just like, were you ever blown away by how humble some people were? Like, wow, I think this is our most humble participant that we've <laughs> that we've ever had. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure if we landed on, on an incredibly humble one. Uh, in the process, though, um, without without naming names, we did have uh, a, a person on the research staff work with us. And uh, when we when we told them that we we're going to study humility, this person said, humility, that's the thing I'm the best at. Oh, I'm so good at humility. I can, I can tell you guys a few things. So, so uh, you guys trying to work together on watching people work together to determine humility in doing that you were able to anecdotally kind of figure out who was the most humble people on your own team researching yeah a little bit by process of elimination sadly that's right now what's what's uh so you're you're looking at a situation like that what's the difference how are you teasing apart um how the the difference between 
shyness or low self-esteem and humility and how they're being expressed? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of people think that humility is is just kind of thinking poorly of yourself. Um, a lot of times it's really strongly related to something in the personality literature called agreeableness or just kind of like going along with the flow. But humility is really different. And so we can actually statistically partition out, uh, partition those things out, control for those things. And what we see is that humility isn't thinking less of oneself. It's not low self-esteem. Really, humility is a security that comes from knowing your right size in a situation. It's not being too big, not being too small. So we wouldn't think it's humble if a novice comes in and claims to be an expert. And everyone gets that. That's pretty easy. But we also wouldn't think it appropriate for an expert just to timidly sit in the back and not express her expertise Mm -hmm. in a certain area. And so humility is about being the right size. Hmm. Huh. I mean, that's an interesting framing of it. But so, so what about like, um, I don't know, Michael Jordan or or someone like that who is, uh, he was the best basketball player in the entire world, maybe ever, and he had like an arrogance about him sometimes as well. He was like humble in the press. I mean, how do you uh, like, like if someone's a really exceptional athlete and they're also a trash talker? That's not <laughs> someone on the surface that I would think of as being a humble person. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. So so maybe if we round out the definition a bit, we'll think about okay. it in, in three parts. So the first part is knowing yourself. Okay. So you know yourself, you know your strengths, you know your weaknesses. I realize I'm not good at basketball. I'm not, you know, my my athletic ability ends starts and ends with running, maybe. So we have to know ourselves. The second part is we have to check ourselves. So we have to restrain our selfish egoistic motives. So we have to reel those things in. And so Mm. when we're checking ourselves, we need to share the praise, but we also need to take our fair share of the blame. And we're not usually very good at doing that. And then the third part is going beyond yourself. And so this is where we're thinking about and prioritizing the needs of other people as much as or equal to our own needs. So we're not just thinking of ourselves, we're thinking about others. So it's knowing ourselves, checking ourselves, and going beyond ourselves. Hmm. So, so maybe Michael Jordan knew that he was the best, um, and he had that part down. And and it's it's hard to argue with. He he he's amazing. But I'm not sure in those situations if he necessarily checked himself <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. or went beyond himself uh, as much as perhaps he could. Yeah, I mean, he he really needed to be trained to share the ball and work with his <laughs> teammates more and stuff. Um. Well, also, gosh, it it also seems, it seems a hair tricky to pin it. Like I, I get the, basically the, the kind of the, the two aspects of the surveys where someone's kind of rating themselves and then having others rate them, um, you know, as questionable as kind of, um, any of those things can be I, I i almost i almost think that you would glean more information from those than watching someone in a, in a lab i mean humility seems so 
context dependent and so like i mean man how humble i am it's like at it depends on what time of the day you're asking yes. me it depends on like <laughs> if i have a couple beers in me it yep. depends on how well i did it stand up the night before something <laughs> and it, you know how 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 many people did i draw in how well were my were my jokes received and into and to be like, am I, uh, say, humble comedian or something? I was like, well, m- so much depends on what's going I've I've had ebbs and flows in my career, and I would say I'm probably more <laughs> humble when when I'm when I'm having a little dip or a plateau in in a stage in my career, and maybe a little less humble when I have a bunch of things happening and and taking off and catching some breaks. Yeah, I, th- I think you've nailed it. I really think you have. Um, I completely agree. Humility really is context and relationship dependent. And even within relationships, maybe there are certain times you're more humble and other times you're a little bit uh, more arrogant or, or self-centered. Um, and so, you know, we, we can kind of think about it as maybe it's a state, right? And maybe it's this psychological state that we move in and out of. And people who are humble are just people who on average across relationships and on average across contexts seem to be more in that state than less in that state. So they just kind of, with more people and over time, they just happen to be, be acting and expressing humility and acting more humbly more often. So uh, the first interview I ever did on humility, uh, we had done this study where we showed that people prefer dating partners that are more humble relative to arrogant dating partners. And uh I had this interview and people really liked it because anytime you're talking about romance, you know, that just sells. And so it was on a Friday and I had promised my wife we were going to go to the beach. And I was like, oh yeah, this interview will just take a few minutes and ended up taking like 90 minutes. And so my wife was waiting this whole time. We were supposed to pack lunches together. She packed all the lunches. She got all the, the beach stuff together. She was very patiently waiting. At the end of the interview, the interviewer said, you know, are you any more humble because you study humility? And I'm thinking like, oh, this is going to be great. She's like, would you be willing to ask your wife how humble you are? And I said, of course <laughs> I'd be willing to ask my wife. This is no, no problem. So she's like, okay, follow up with me. So keep in mind, my wife's been waiting for 90 minutes. Um, you know, while I do this self-promoting interview, uh, <laughs> she's packed all the lunches. I come upstairs uh. and before I can even, you know, tell her anything, I say, hey, you know, by the way, thank you know. I, I don't even know if I thanked her for for waiting or packing the lunches. I said, "Would you mind meeting me at the beach because um, I need to get a training run in?" So I was training for a marathon. The beach is like seven miles away. Do you mind you know meeting me at the beach? Can I run and meet you there? Um, so not only had she waited, she packed all the lunches. I was going to make her she schlep did it all this stuff unnecessarily. Yeah, that's yeah. And then I was like, she "I'll just, just been at the beach." That's exactly right. And and she kind of looks at me. And while she's waiting, I said, oh yeah, by the way, um, the interviewer wants me to know, I? yeah, how humble, yeah. And so I said, one to 10, she gave me a four. Uh, I think four <laughs> was generous. Um, and, and, you know, we, we have yeah. a good chuckle about that. And I think since then, there maybe there have been other times I've been maybe a six or seven. Maybe there's other times I've been a one or a two. Um, yeah. And my hope is just kind of on average in that, in that relationship and across all relationships, I'm a little bit, you know, more humble and I'm trying each day to be more humble. Hmm. What's the, I mean, it might seem like an obvious question, but I, I would just love to hear you articulate it. What's the, what's the importance of 
being humble? What's what's the? I mean, we we, we kind of we talk a lot about evolution on this show and how evolution has yeah. shaped uh, a, a lot of our drives and and emotions and and um, things like that. Obviously, it has some. Uh, there's seemingly some social rewards, some some um, some self awareness involved uh, that comes along with it. But why why be humble in in a, in a like we we've all seen people do well who are exceptionally confident and people be like wow that person says they know what they're talking about we'll make them president or whatever <laughs> right um yeah so why be humble i mean so building on your the kind of the, ex, the evolutionary question one way to think about it is humility is a signal to other people about how it might be like to be treated in a relationship with us. So how might we treat them if, they, if they're in a relationship? And so humility is, is a little bit of that signal. So when someone's humble, we say, oh, I think, I think I'd like to be in a relationship with them. So if we know that they know their strengths and weaknesses, that they do a good job of checking themselves, that they're going to prioritize my needs, it's really a signal for trust. And if I think that I can trust somebody, I'm going to want to enter into a relationship with them. And so there's a bit of these social benefits. So we see that people are more attracted to and want to become friends with and remain more committed to and have more satisfying relationships with people who are humble relative to those who are arrogant. We're more likely to forgive uh, a romantic partner who's humble relative to one who's arrogant. Um, so it, it, it's for forming relationships, it's for repairing and maintaining relationships. It predicts uh, relationship longevity. Uh, so humility really is a boon for our relationships. Mm. But we also see that uh, it's it's good for our health, so it contributes to our well being. Um, you know, what do, what do my, you mean? Yeah, so you know, some of the some of the things that we've seen. So we've brought. Um, couples into the lab who are really stressed out. And so we did a couple studies. One, we brought in um, first-time parents. So we measured them or assessed them before they gave birth, which is wonderful because it's one of these opportunities where you can actually predict when stress is going to happen, right? So it's like nature's way of saying, you know, something stressful is about to happen. So we got them in their last trimester, then we got them after uh, they, you know, their first child was born. And, and usually that's a hugely stressful time. And what we see is when both partners are humble, they're less stressed, they're less anxious, they kind of adjust to that stressful transition better than if, uh, if the partners were, were arrogant or one partner was humble and one partner was arrogant. Then in another study, we brought par uh, participants in the lab and we had these couples argue. So we asked them, what's the thing you argue about the most? Um, and then we said, great, argue about that for 10 minutes. And meanwhile, we were taking their blood pressure. And what we see is that People who are, when partners are both humble, you've got a, a much better cardiovascular response to the stress of arguing and, and this argumentative conflict. So humility does help your health. You know, my, you, you mentioned my wife, she's a clinician, um, and she, she gave me this insight. She said a lot of mental health concerns come from people's distorted and dysfunctional relationship with reality. So whether that's their... <laughs> unwillingness to accept reality, the way they distort it, they deny it. And people who are humble, if you have self-awareness and you can see the world as it is, you can be honest with the world as it is and accept it, that's going to lead to better mental health. 
So mental health is impossible is what you're telling me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, that, that's, that's real tricky. That is very tricky. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't want to make a whole thing about me, but people like when you share personal stories or vulnerable or whatever. So I, I, it, you know, I, I was kind of, I think I was, I was just thinking on, uh, on, on the drive home before setting up the studio and everything. I, I was kind of, I've always had some kind of, um, low self-esteem issues, but it's, it's weird because it's not, it's not that I think I'm less than others or something like that, or that I don't have some fine skills or whatever. And I've, I, I seem to be well liked by, uh, by people, uh, generally and have a lot of friends and stuff, but it's just, I, I've just always looked at life as a just impossible situation that i'm that i'm stuck in and uh, and it's just um it just seems life just seems endlessly just overwhelmingly complicated and and i think that i i i think that um my biggest concern is i feel like people don't notice that as much as i as i wish that they they did i it seems like there's uh, we we study uh, um i i really love the evolution of self-deception um research and kind of some of the social benefits of of maybe thinking you're a hair smarter or a better driver or more attractive yeah. by like 10 or 20 percent than you than you actually are and um I don't know if that's made me less or more aware or, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily trust my self assessments. Um, but it sure seems like there's a lot of people going about where like, boy, that person has a lot of unearned confidence (laughs) and pride of their, and it's like, it's a little scary. Not like I, I, not from like, Oh geez, this person's a narcissist. Like, Oh my gosh, we are we are steering toward a cliff and and no one seems to realize it <laughs> sort of point of view. So it yeah, I I don't know. I maybe I'm just talking to you because I know your wife's a therapist and that's clo- this is so this is like one level away from me yeah, getting therapy or something. That's right. Hopefully um, something's rubbed <laughs> off on me that I can. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I, Shane, I I think you actually bring up two really, really important points. So I think one is you've named it. We've got all these cognitive biases that allow us to live in this world of delusion, which makes the moving sidewalk of our culture shift us away from humility. So we're always going to have to be working against our cognitive biases, working against the cultural pressures for self-aggrandizement and uh, narcissism. And and, and so it's always going to be this big effort if we're going to want to try to develop and maintain humility. I think the second thing, and and we can talk about this whenever, but there's different types of humility. And I think you named one of my favorite, and I think you've got it. I actually do. And this is from the interactions we've had before by listening to your, your podcast. I think, Shane, you have a deep sense of what we would call existential humility. So you, you realize that the, the world, the universe is vast 
and you occupy but a small part of it. And there's so much more to the world than what you can understand. And sometimes being the right size, is, <laughs> there, there's very, there's there's so little I could do to feel less significant. <laughs> like like there's, there, there's nothing I could accomplish that would ever change that. It's just a part. It's a part of who I am. Yeah, and and, and I mean, and, and when you can get to a certain point, it actually can be freeing to yeah, realize yeah. and kind of bask in your in, in at least I, in me in my own insignificance. Like realizing the trees have been here long before I have. And the trees will be here long after I'm gone. Um, I just actually take a lot of, of joy and pleasure in knowing I'm going to be forgotten. And so as royally as I can yeah, mess things up. There's something about you know, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The world's going to keep spinning. Yeah. Um, uh, so so that's, that's really interesting that there's different types of humility. Why don't, why don't we list those? Yeah, so we talked about the existential. Um, probably the most common, the place that people mostly think about humility is what we'd call relational humility. So this is humility that shows up in our relationships. It's where um, we're able to prioritize the needs of other people, we're able to value them, be empathic towards them, see their perspective, put their needs kind of equal to, if not ahead of our own. There's also uh, intellectual humility. So this is humility around ideas or beliefs. So People who are intellectually humble are curious. Uh, they know who, um, their their weaknesses, their blind spots. They realize they don't have all the answers and don't claim to. They can admit when they're wrong. Um, and they really shape their worldview and revise their worldview based on evidence um, rather than just preference. And then the last one is what we would call cultural humility. Uh, and cultural humility is realizing that my particular way of seeing the world, my worldview is not superior. And in fact, it's not even the only way of seeing the world. There's lots of ways of seeing the world. Um, and people who are culturally humble value those with cultural differences and want to learn from them. They can appreciate cultural differences and think that those differences help make our society stronger. Well, I have something for you. Can you? Okay. Uh, how about how about the flip side of each of those? What what does existential um, narcissism look like? Yeah, so existential narcissism or existential uh, arrogance, I think this is a sureness of what you believe about the world, thinking that you're big, that you are important and enduring, that everyone will remember you for a long time, that people will be downloading this podcast for millennia, making shrines (laughs) to you and in your likeness and of your greatness. So you can kind of live on with this symbolic makes a shrine of me. That, someone might make a shrine of me, but it'll be in my lifetime, and it probably won't be flattering. Uh, <laughs> you know, but that's only because I have hilarious fans that are artistically gifted. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually think that most people probably do engage the world with a bit of of. Uh, existential arrogance, you know, it, kind of pretty sure about what's going to happen to them after they die, even though no one's like, that's an unanswerable question right now, or really sure that their life is incredibly meaningful and that they're living, you know, lives of complete purpose and significance. And the reason why we do that is it feels so good. Like the world mm-hmm. feels so safe and secure and who wouldn't want to live thinking that they're so incredibly important the problem, though, is that the trade-off of knowing that you're right and you're so important is that everyone else is wrong and unimportant. Right. And if you meet someone with a worldview that conflicts with yours, one of the two of you have to be wrong, and it's not going to be me. 
And so I'm going to do whatever it takes to validate and verify my own worldview, my own lofty view of myself, whether that's derogate you, denigrate you, or destroy you, right? Eradicate you and people who are like you from this earth and ideologically motivated violence. And so we sadly see a lot of that playing out, uh, you know, in the the global political theater of uh, of our time. Hmm. I um. Okay. Well, uh, relational arrogance. Yeah, relational arrogance. Um, you know, the question I get a lot is people say, Daryl, are you really sure that you know we like humble partners because? Don't we want the confident person, right? The one who kind of comes into the party with all the bravado. And in the beginning, relational arrogance, relational narcissism is just a little attractive right in the beginning. It's, it's alluring. It's like, ooh, that person's got the confidence. You know, the, it's kind of all about them. But that it's, loo- it's sort of like a resume or say if, if you have to judge something or someone really quickly and you don't have a lot of background information, there's, there's something about it that goes like, well, they wouldn't think they were they wouldn't think so highly of themselves had they not accomplished many things this must be a very accomplished and and knowledgeable person that i'm talking to right now right absolutely yeah we're, we're like kind of taking their word for it by their actions right the, the problem though is that act gets old really quick and the right. reason why it usually gets old is the partner becomes the target of the narcissistic ah. displays and so Yikes. it is, maybe it's a little fun when you're at a party and there's other people that they can put down or make fun of or tell stories about. But when it becomes you, that kind of gets old real fast. Mm-hmm. And so narcissistic arrogance, uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, problem with partners getting stuck with narcissistic partners, um, people recovering from narcissistic partners. Um, and so we, we, we see this quite a bit people who, and you know, sometimes I think it can happen because people are afraid that they're not going to get their needs met in a, in a relationship, whether that's because of attachment wounds, whether that's because of previous experiences. And so they think if I don't take what I want and make sure my needs get met, I'll never get my needs met as opposed Mm -hmm. to going into the, into a relationship with mutuality and saying, I believe that we can meet each other's needs. I still need to make sure my needs are met, but not at the cost of you or yours. We can find a mutual way forward. Hmm. Uh, Intellectual arrogance. uh, I mean, we could take a snapshot of America right now, and I think we're suffering from intellectual arrogance. We we have just Just kind of a kind of a Dunning Kruger um, ish is 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 sort of how it. Outlooks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's we right. We don't even know the things that we don't know, and what we do is we we selectively seek out information that already pre that confirms our pre existing beliefs. So, you know, conservatives will listen to conservative media, liberals to liberal media. We only talk with our friends or our family if they agree with our beliefs, or we cut them out, which is ridiculous. We judge people for having friends who aren't ideologically the same. And so we're unwilling and unable to talk to people across ideological divides. Um, and, and we think that we know, but any, any society that's made any progress, any technological advance that's ever occurred has required intellectual humility. We need to say, I don't know the answer to this, but I want to learn. I have the curiosity to learn and I want to follow the evidence. I want to, I want to make empirically based evidence, uh, based decisions. Hmm. 
And then I also think we're seeing a wild degree of cultural arrogance right now, um, where there's a lot of, you know, th this is tough. This is a this is an area that's uh, really charged. This is an area that people have feel very strongly about. You know, people are being unwilling to listen to those from cultural backgrounds from that are different from theirs. They're unwilling to appreciate the importance of diversity and of uh, of a variety of perspectives strengthening our social fabric. Um, and instead, they're kind of rigidly defending their way of seeing the world the way they believe things have always been. Um, and and it's you know it's catastrophic, really. Hmm. How's your uh, how's your book structured? Like, walk walk the me way through the, the outline. Yeah, so the way the book is structured is, I first kind of give a definition of uh, you know of what humility is. So I I set up what it is, and I set up you know what it's not. And and one thing in this first part that I was um, that I do that I want to make sure that uh, you know folks that are, are listening uh, really understand is. A lot of times, humility has gotten a, a bad rap, okay, and it, it is kind of a tough sell because you know a lot of people have these misunderstandings for what humility is, and so a lot of people think that humility is you know humiliation, and so it's like oh I've mm. been humbled when I was at you know I was at work and I made a fool of myself in this meeting and then you know I was humbled. That's being humiliated. That that's not humble. And then the other place mm. where I think it's a little bit of a tough sell and is. I think it's been used as a tool of oppression in the past. And so people have been told, you need to be humble. And so usually it's been used against marginalized or minoritized groups from dominant majority groups saying, you should be humble. And so, you know, I own, I'm a, I'm a white male. And so me trying to tell people, hey, humility is this really good thing. I think there can be some concern of, well, historically, majority groups have told us to be humbled in order for us to stay in line. And that's why I mentioned in the book, humility, If we shouldn't go around telling other people to be humble, although ironically, that's what I'm doing in my book. We should try to cultivate humility ourselves. This is something that we, it's a project for us to work on. Don't give it to your father-in-law or your mother-in-law and say, hey, you should work on this, right? It's something something for, for you, for me, actually. So, so uh, this is this is what I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to give someone the uh, a gift for uh, like if I have a uh, like say I'm dating someone or something like that when Christmas rolls around I'll get them your book as a present and then I'll be like it's actually for me <laughs> that's to, yes that's. your gift is I'm going to read this book. <laughs> That's uh, exactly right. That's right. You are welcome because I'm going to be that much better. Yeah. <laughs> I love so it. So much better. Um, yeah. So after a quick definition, um, the first part are the benefits of humility. So where we actually see humility um, in our lives. So we see it with this awareness of ourselves and this acceptance of reality. Um, and I spend a chapter kind of talking about um, what our biases are and kind of how to overcome some of our cognitive biases. Then I go into really another benefit of humility are having authentic relationships. So ones in which there's this mutuality, there's this equality, there's a respect, um, and, and people can be free to be who they are. They can be authentic in those relationships. And then I tackle ambition and achievement because this is a place where, where people often get pushback is, you know, a lot of people think that ambition 
and humility uh, are foes, that they really can't work together, but they're actually the perfect partners. So what we actually want is confidence and ambition yoked with humility. We want leaders who are hard-driving leaders who can be humble. Those are the ones that have the best outcomes at work. Those are the ones that make the best leaders. Then the second part talks about how to cultivate humility. So I talk about the first place to start is by seeking feedback. So starting with a, a trusted source to give you feedback on you know, how, uh, how humble you are, areas where you can work. Uh, we can talk about reducing our defensiveness. So once someone does give you that feedback, you know, can, can you take it? <laughs> can you actually listen to them if they say, hey, you have a little bit of work to do? To be, uh, to be more humble. Uh, then I talk about building empathy. Building empathy really might be the most critical part of humility. You know, it's, if we can't see someone else's perspective, if we can't emotionally attune into their experience, it's going to be really hard for us to be humble. And then I talk about uh, the importance of, of practicing this all the time. Because again, it's a moving sidewalk. It's, it's something I, I still struggle with. It's something that I continually try to work on um, and I continually fail, but I, I try to get a little bit better. And then the the final part, part three, we talk about how humility can really change your life. So it can help us bridge uh, social divides. It can help us make progress in uh, societies. And then it can really help us build flourishing communities. Hmm. So I was wondering, in, in those self-assessment tests that you have, this is, I was almost going to ask you off the air, but um, I. I have another show, Mind Under Matter, that I do. Um, me and my co-host, Ramin Nazer, usually about once a month or a little less than that, we we do some sort of survey, some sort of self-assessment thing to see uh, if we're ADHD or where we fall on a um, morbid curiosity scale or you know something like that. They're they're always a lot of fun. Um, and so are those, one, are those scales available online? Cause I'll probably make a whole episode about this. I'll make sure and plug your book on there as well. Um, are, are there some things that, that yeah, like yeah, I listener can, could? Yeah, absolutely. We could, um, yeah. So one is, uh, you know, one is the relational humility scale and, um, you know, I, I can connect with you to get you that, that. Uh, website. And so you can take the self version and then you can take the other version. And so what, what do you mean? So the, you can, what's the other version? Oh, sorry. The, the other version would be like, you would have a friend oh. or partner rate you. Yeah. Like an other oh, report. So, uh, like of a, someone else. I see. I see. Yeah. 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 So we'll, we'll just put the link in the description of the show. Perfect. Um, awesome. I was, I was curious what, if you can off the top of your head, what are, a couple of questions you don't need to nail it word for word that you would see on some self-assessment scale of humility yeah so right so uh am i putting um, you on the spot do you need a minute should we just look it up uh no you're good so it would be something like um strangers would consider him or her you know this person humble um mm -hmm. certain tasks are beneath them um they have a big ego. They are self-aware. They know their strengths or weaknesses. Um, they don't like doing menial tasks. So things that you probably would be able to to figure out from a you know from just kind of interactions <laughs> with people. 
Oh man, I think I would. I think I would lose some points on the menial tab. <laughs> That's right. I might too. Like, does Does anyone love menial tests? <laughs> I yeah. That's that. That might be an item that uh, a lot loves of us don't do. Menial yeah. tests. I mean, it's kind of dependent <laughs> on things. I I think that I think that it becomes a little easier um, if, say, you're hosting a party and having some people over or something or or you're getting to um you know you you have a a child that you're getting to do the it, i feel like doing it for myself i have a very hard time doing menial tasks <laughs> right. for for myself i'm very low in conscientiousness and that's right and uh yeah i i don't know that's i would i think i would yeah, I wouldn't be. I, it, what I mean, well, let me ask you because it, it, that, what was that first part of your book again? Can you can you kind of re-explain that because I, I want to tie a few things together. Yeah. So after the definition, I, I kind of talk about the benefits of humility. So awareness and acceptance, authentic relationships, and then ambition and achievement. Hmm. Okay. So, well, what I wanted to ask is. Again, I think I'm just asking for me. What, what what's the difference between delegating and you know like thoughtful delegation and and just avoiding menial responsibilities and, and yeah. feeling you know arrogant or above those tasks? If I'm checking in with myself, I'm like, I do I. Like I know as a person I'm not about above those tasks, but my brain will tell me a story of being <laughs> yeah. above them when it's time to actually sit and do them. Yeah, no, that that's a great question. I think it's it's probably a bit nuanced and it's uh it's a little bit of a razor's edge. But you know, if you're if you're thinking about thoughtful delegation, you know, are you only delegating the tasks that you absolutely don't want to do, right? And in that case, it's like, uh, you've got someone kind of working <laughs> for you because you yeah. don't want to do those things. But true thoughtful delegation is also preparing and training future leaders. So you're probably also delegating a few things that you don't mind doing and in fact could do well. But the reason you're delegating them is so someone else gets the experience and gets that training, gets that development. Um, mm. And so thoughtful delegation actually confers and conveys trust. So you're saying, hey, this is actually pretty important. And I usually would do this, um, but I, I'm delegating it to you so you can have a voice and you can you can develop and you can grow and to be a leader as well. So it can also include menial things, <laughs> right? Because you mm. want to be right sized. You don't want the, you don't, you know, you don't want the CEO necessarily making, you know, janitorial decisions or uh, you know, making sure that the copy machines have all the paper with with their time because you know her time might be better spent kind of casting a vision for the company um but you know if someone is using a copier and they run out of paper could they just fill it up and is that okay they wouldn't be you know so bothered by that so i think there's probably a, a fine line so sorry to do this one more time but you, you just you sped through them just a little bit those 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 um those parts in, in part one, what was it again? It was leadership, 
Um, yeah. So basically, uh, awareness and acceptance. So basically, our relationship with ourselves in the world, authentic relationships, and then ambition and achievement, which is kind of like leadership and work. Right? How do we? How does humility show up when we're interacting with others, often in the workplace or as leaders? What's What's the authentic part? What is that? Is that kind of when you're talking about finding the right? size is that what you're trying to articulate yeah there? so you know one of the things in so in authentic relationships so a bit what i'm talking about is our desire for ego and our desire for this overly positive self uh illusion often keeps us from the type of in, uh, intimacy and authenticity that makes relationships so valuable and so meaningful and so powerful and so if we're constantly worried about showing only our best self to our partner, or if we're so, we have such an insecure ego that we're defensive and we're reactive, that's going to create this toxic relationship that's not going to be good for you or for them. And really it's not authentic. And so I actually think humility is liberating. I think it, humility rests in the security of knowing you're already enough. You're already loved. You're already worthy. And it frees yourself from really having to seek out the external validation of others or of cultural standards that are completely unattainable, whether that's beauty or wealth or status or travel or success. Because what it does is it removes your value as a person and it unyokes it from those and it says, you're already enough. And so if you go into a, a relationship knowing you're already enough, you don't have to worry about defending this fragile overinflated ego because that's the problem is when our egos are overinflated and then when they're fragile and together that makes a really relationally toxic combination yeah it just seems like the brain cares more sometimes about feeling right than being actually accurate it's 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 just I, I'd rather just feel right and not, I mean, it's just so, it's, it's so much easier to identify in others where I can look at other people being like, oh my God, the, the, the hoops, this person, this group of people, whatever will do to keep, perpetuate this story, just rather than just be like, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I, maybe I screwed up. It's, it's much easier to see in others than it is yourself, but, but you should at least notice that, uh, that the, the human brain is pretty good at this. It can be protective in, in this way and loves, loves the story about being right more than it likes doing the work of forming more accurate mental models of the world. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and that's the that's our default functioning. You're absolutely right. We'd rather feel good than be right. Um, and because, and I love that you mentioned this, because it's easier to see in other people, that's why you know humility has to be a little bit of a team sport. We need to have mm. trusted sources who can say, hey, Shane, I'm seeing you do this thing and you're really jumping through this gigantic hoop here. Um, maybe you shouldn't. And you can kind of help them see it as well. But when they do, that's where that, that next piece of reducing your defensiveness, because our first thought and our first response is, no, I'm not. I'm just right. Um, and so developing the, those trusted sources and making sure that we're, we're taming our own defensiveness, that's going to be key to helping us have a more accurate uh, view and engagement with the world. Hmm. Humility in the workplace. What what? What does that look like in, in and how is that different from um, 
relationship, uh, relational humility and just humility in your everyday life where it seems like kind of historically the, the cliche hierarchy of, you know, person on the floor, then the, you know, the supervisor and then the middle management and, and the, the board, the CEO and, and there's this kind of intuitive feel that you should almost expect more confidence and maybe even less humility as, as you uh, work your way up that corporate ladder. Yeah. And yeah. And it's tough. And this is, this is where I think people often say, well, maybe I'll be humble at home, but at work, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a different version of myself. But, you know, I think humility at the, you know, at work or among leaders is characterized by listening. So having an actual desire to hear what other people are saying and not just, you know, pretending to listen, it has to do with creating a sense of uh, psychological safety and engagement from people with whom you work, from your followers. So making sure they feel like they can bring their needs to you, that they feel engaged with what they're doing, that there's this kind of sense of a collective. So everyone's kind of in it together. And then, uh, you know, I think it's also modeling that leaders don't know everything, modeling that they can be and often are wrong and wanting feedback and input from other people. And so what we see is that combination of kind of confidence and humility you see that workers are more productive, uh, they're more engaged, they're more creative, um, and they're much more satisfied at their jobs. Yeah, we had some um, kind of, we mentioned this on, I guess we're, we're sort of talking about organizational management um, recently and, and used the examples of, uh, you, you may have heard of the, uh, the Japanese pilots that had uh that had kind of the the cultural status differences where the the co-pilot basically just within the culture it was it was very taboo if not kind of socially culturally forbidden to speak up to the person that was in charge and so there's all of these plane crashes where you hear in the black box like the the co-pilot being like uh, hey, um, what do you, what do you think about that mountain in front of us? Kind of a, a thing, and very, very sort of sheepish. Um, so that that would be kind of the, um, the the dark side of attempting to be humble in a situation. Right, right, and, and that's right. And so, if humility is being the right size, we've mostly think about, and for most people, it means doubt kind of sizing down, right? You've named all the reasons why our, our sense of ego was overinflated and we need to rein that in. For some people and in some contexts, it actually means kind of sizing up, um, especially for people who haven't had opportunities, who have historically been neglected, haven't been offered seats at the table. Um, for them, humility, because they know their strengths, Mm-hmm. They can step into that and they can embrace that and they can be secure in knowing that they have expertise and they should mention if someone, you know, literally or metaphorically is heading toward a mountain that they need to bring their expertise to bear. And so for some people, it actually, it means right sizing up to take up the space um, right. that they've earned. So uh, nurses kind of need to size up some, to maybe doctors needing to size down a little bit in in some contexts and yeah, you, historically, you, 
Right, right, exactly. Or, or you know, not to not to make this too politically charged, but you know, when the pandemic was unfolding, and you know, we have these experts. We've got these great medical experts on best practices, you know, for you know ways to navigate a global pandemic and health. Those are people to whom I should be listening, not my cousin, you know, who found some type of miracle salve on the internet that's going to protect them from, you know, this this virus. And so, kind they of they put a lot of hours of work into finding that salve. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, right. So, uh, so making sure that we we listen to the experts, and the experts can take up those space, and sometimes. Mm saying, look, authoritatively, this is kind of what's going on, and this is what's best for the collective good. Hmm. Yeah, that's tricky. Because another thing, because when you talked about marginalized groups, there's there's something in, that I kind of remember from the, the first season of Here We Are. It's stuck with me that long, um, where they they would run kind of studies working in working in groups and and sort of assigning various um, status to different people. This person's in charge. This person is, uh, you know, on the lower rung or whatever. And the the idea that came out of it was basically um, that, that people in positions of power, uh, that the be- the best solutions and the best working environment and the best outcome was when people lower in power gave perspective more often and people higher in power took perspective hmm. uh more often and i think that's a, a just in that context of when we're talking about marginalized groups and um and that sort of a thing i i think that that's that's a way of articulating this kind of finding the right size. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. For some folks uh, kind of stepping into that and sharing their voice. And then for folks who have long had the voice, you know, being quiet and listening and, and asking mm-hmm. for um, and accepting that perspective. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, Shane, there, there is also a situation I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to also suggest that humility is always the right response in every situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's just some situations where we need the wisdom to realize, you know what? Not right now. <laughs> now is not yeah. the time to be humble. I'm going to I'm going to try most of the time to be humble, but now is a time for something else, right? Now is a time for righteous indignation or now is a time for yeah. anger or um, yeah, if someone, you know, yeah, punitive is, behavior or whatever, all all of these <laughs> things that are that are usually kind of what we would consider the worst of us. But there, there's also there is reasons why you yell at people or establish boundaries and things like right. that. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. I, I would never want someone to say, well, I listen, you know, about the importance of humility and now I have no boundaries or self-respect. Right. And that's that's mm-hmm. certainly not it at all. Hmm. Well. I'm very interested in empathy. Um, what uh, what aspects of empathy did you know? One one of the things that I that I like reminding people again and again, and it I know most people already know this, and uh, but it's just so important that the word empathy has this kind of 
uh, it, humility falls into this trap too, where it, it sort of sounds like nice and wishy-washy and feathery or something like that. And, and empathy is like the ability to understand someone's mind is one of the single most important things in all of life. It's not just some feel goodery or whatever. <laughs> this is, this is, an absolutely necessary skill in life and not just human life either. Yeah, no, absolutely. And this, and I I love the, how you put that and it's, it's so absolutely critical to humility. If you can't develop empathy, you're really not going to succeed at becoming any more humble. You know, so I think about it in two dimensions. So one is the cognitive dimension. So can I take someone else's perspective? Can I imagine what it would be like to be them? Can I, can I see what they're seeing from their shoes, you know, what, how might this be affecting them? And then the second is an emotional perspective. So can I attune to their feelings? You know, if someone's in pain, can I, am I sensitive to the fact that they're in pain, that they're suffering, that they're struggling with this? And can I respond uh, emotionally to their emotional output? So there's a, there's a cognitive and there's an emotional part. I mean, one way of kind of summarizing the the cognitive part is, can I imagine that someone else is actually trying their best, right? And, and if I come and I give that assumption that someone's trying their best, how could I see what they're what they're coming with? How could I try to understand how they got to their point and try to understand that perspective? Hmm. So, um, how how do you practice this humility skill? Oh goodness. You know, it's a bit like training for a marathon. You just, you gotta, you gotta try. You gotta, you gotta try to put in the work, you know, each day you have to understand there's going to be setbacks. So you first find someone whom you trust that can give you feedback. You ask them to, to give you an assessment. I mean, it doesn't have to be the formal assessment. You can just say how humble I am. Am I, you know, my wife gave me a four. I was like, well, shoot. Okay. Then I need to regulate my defensiveness when I get the feedback I don't like. So I have to realize my first instinct is going to be to dismiss it if it's not as high as I want it to be, or if they're telling me areas where I need to grow. And and all of us have areas to grow. So once I know the areas I, I need to work on, and I can kind of temper my own defensiveness, I really need to start engaging other people empathically. I need to start considering their perspective. I need to imagine what other people are going through go beyond myself to realize it's more than just me and then keep trying because every day right every day the moving sidewalk is pulling us back towards narcissism it's pulling us back towards self-aggrandizing it's pulling us back to real to the myth that our worth is bound up in external standards that are largely unattainable and so it, it takes practice it takes consistency um, and, and it's something that we, that kind of takes a commitment to try to implement each day. Hmm. I'm curious how, uh, how improving humility can, um, can change your life. And, and so I, I would like to give an example of, of this podcast, because it's something that I think about in terms of. I, I sometimes think about rebranding this podcast. I sometimes think, mm, here we are as like 
that doesn't tell you what it's about. Maybe I should rebrand it with some sciency name. So it's just uh, life has just got getting in the past eight years. Like life has only got faster in terms of how people scroll through things and decide what to click on and and that sort of thing. And and uh, and whenever I'm like, ah, maybe I'll do a more heavily produced things or mix things up or I'll give it a break for a while. One of the things that I think about that I grow the most from this podcast, it hasn't happened this episode much. Usually I've said something here like, you're absolutely right. But often when I often on the show and what I value the show is that I'm now so used to academics being like, Actually, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. And I usually, I often go like, I'm going to present, here's how I think your study went, or, or here's how I would think about it, and tell me everything that's wrong with the way that I'm thinking about it. And so I usually invite that. But but that's one of those things that early on in the show made me, it was, I I never went to college. I was so scared of talking to scientists and it was, it was, uh, it was frightening. And, and I would compensate uh, from that by being like, Oh, I, I'm going to share that. I know this pilot study or something like that. So they know I've read a book. And, um, and now the, the only reason why I bring things like that up is because I'm like, I want to see how this hits this person, what they'll, what they'll have to say about it. And, and so it's, it's actually, I, I kind of, get called wrong more often now and, and really invite that than I did in, in the beginning, but I'm just so much more secure in that and, and grow from it and have, have learned to appreciate it. Yeah. Shane, I, I love that. I love that you work from a place of uncertainty and not knowing because so much of, so many of us um, start from a place of knowing, like we walk into a situation, like I know what's going on here. Let me share my wisdom with others. And, and, and I don't, uh, you know, even in my profession, like I'm paid to profess, like to be the expert. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times that has come back to bite me interpersonally, like in relationships when I step in and I'm like, oh, I know exactly what's going on. And I'm so far out of out of my element or I, or I, so I get it wrong so much. You know, I, I mentioned this in the book, when we, uh, you know, when my wife and I first moved here, we uh, were hanging out with this this couple, and I'm not sure if it's just us or maybe you've got friends like this. They're like so smart and so cultured, and they they do everything interesting, and their life oh, is I don't just have so amazing. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I, I like to I like to I like my friends looking up at me. I, right, I, yeah. I, yeah, I I I set a real low bar for my friends. I uh, love it. Uh, I mean, and and hanging out with them, I you know I'm so I'm I'm a first generation college student, and I you know I'm going to be honest. A lot of times I'm intimidated in academic spaces because like growing up, my family like we watched TV, like that's all we did. Like I could tell you everything about like TV in the eighties and nineties, but like not mm -hmm. much. And so we're hanging out with these people and they're talking about this, this amazing trip they took here and this great food and this great wine and this great show and this great book. And in the beginning they used to say, Hey, have you ever heard of and fill in the blank? And I would, I would say, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. And I would completely fake like I knew what was going on. And then I felt awful. And I did this like two or three times and I would be so confused for the next few minutes. I was, and I was like, man, I, wh why am I doing this? Why am I trying to 
say I know what's going on when I don't. And I did this like two or three times. I told my wife, I'm going to, I'm going to stop cold Turkey. And I'm just going to say, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of it. And I'm going to, I'm going to incur the, the social shame. And the next time I tried it, I was terrified, but they didn't shame me at all. They're like, oh, really? You haven't heard of that? Oh, hey, here, let me go grab the book. Like they grabbed the book, hand me the book. And then the great thing is I got to read this new book or they were like, hey, here's an, you haven't heard of that show. Hey, you should go check it out. Or, oh, we should go do this thing together. And so I learned, but like, like you were saying, I, I had to admit that I didn't know. Right. And, and that kind of opened up new ways of, of understanding the world and kind of introduced me to these new, fun, interesting things that if I had, if I kind of stubbornly and arrogantly held on to, you know, wanting to be thought of as smart or cultured or intelligent, I would have never experienced. Yeah. You're one of the show. If, if there was a word that I didn't know, you would probably hear me just let it slide right by. <laughs> yeah. A year seven or whatever of of the show. Now, if I if I hear a word I don't know, I'm usually stopping the show to find out what that that word means. I love it, and, uh, I love and everyone benefits from it. Yeah, um, I love that. Hmm. Well, this is very cool. I um, the, I, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to come back on and and talk about your book. I'm excited. When did it come out? By the way, it just came out like a month ago. Yeah, June, uh, June 21st in the States. Okay, so pretty new still. Yeah. Um, and the book is Humility, Free Yourself of a Narcissistic World by Daryl Van Tongren. Tongren sorry, Daryl Van Tongren. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, Shane, thanks for having me. And thank you listeners for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week.